Welcome to Demogranomics, your insight to the powerful surprises ahead for the US economy. Demogranomics, where people make markets. And now, here is Mike Williams. Hello there, it's Mike Williams. Thanks again for coming to the podcast today. Um, we're going to call this episode T minus 30 seconds. First of all, we're on the eve of uh, Memorial Day weekend break. We want to make sure we wish you and yours a wonderful long weekend, a great holiday, as we once again hit the unofficial kickoff to summer with the Memorial Day break. If traveling, do so safely, have a lot of fun, and enjoy the time with family and friends. Here's an important item, though. If you get a chance, thank a soldier. Men or women, doesn't matter. Pat them on the back, shake their hands, Buy them a burger, get them a beer, whatever you need to do. Take a picture and post it on social media. But do this. Always thank them. We've got the greatest men and women on earth protecting us and get this by choice. They volunteer for the job. They deliver and pay for dearly our freedoms. We owe them that much. This morning's podcast is going to be a bit lengthier, so uh, settle in. Uh, It's going to be longer because we're not going to have one tomorrow, and we won't be back to see you till Tuesday. So there's a lot to cover. First, today's title reference, uh, T-minus 30 seconds. I was always amazed watching the shuttle take off from the Cape, seeing every little thing that had to fall into place to, to create a precision takeoff. T-minus 30 seconds and chills would run down my spine. T-minus 10 and your heart raced a little higher. T-minus 5 seconds and it was kind of neat because that's when the engines lit up. The shuttle was still bolted to the ground, but such ferocious power. The smoke was billowing out from the cooling ponds below. And, and then those bolts exploded and the shuttle would launch off the pad, rocketing into space. Focus for a moment in your mind on that T minus five seconds when the engines light up. You can see the power of the shuttle, not yet by movement, but by the visual force of that giant white cloud of steam pouring off the pad. That, my friends, is sort of an analogy of where the U.S. economy stands right now. It's still bolted to the ground because of bad fiscal policy but the engines are smoking. It's billowing under the surface. They're throttling up, and the liftoff is far sooner than many currently perceive. Here's the thing. As long-term investors, values come from acting before it is obvious. There is always risk, but the, the perception of doom is wrong, dead wrong. Kind of nutty, right? I mean, with all the doom and gloom around, how could one possibly assume there's a bright spot ahead, much less a couple of bright decades ahead? Why? Count people, my friends. Focus on the barbell economy. 78 million baby boomers on one end and 86 million Generation Y kids on the other. They will both as now the first and largest generations of all time, they will both change every part of the stage of life they're in. Bottom line, together, they will change everything. 
I like to explain it to clients this way when we do talks around the world. I want you to think for a minute about a prism. You know how a prism sits on a table or something and you look at it and light comes through from the other side and it breaks up into many different colors. If one shifts the prism just a little bit or moves your chair and the viewpoint from which you look at it, the colors of light completely change. Nothing is, has moved except your perception of it. This is how we must begin to perceive the economic changes that are coming. Let's start with housing. You know, we've been told for years that housing would bury us. You remember 08 and 09 started because of the mortgage crisis. The world was in a tizzy. The economic financial structure of the entire globe nearly came to a screeching halt out of sheer mortal fear. Today, housing on both a pending home sales for new homes and existing homes both shocked the system far ahead of what was expected. Pending home sales for April were up 5.1% versus just a six-tenths of 1% expectation. Think about that. They missed by nine times. No matter how one slices it, housing is improving and at a far better pace than the experts told us to expect. It would be an error to overlook the driver behind that improvement. Why? Well, because our data to members suggests this is inning number one. Indeed, it's the first out of inning number one. The whole ball game is still ahead. And it's not just housing. Recognizing ahead of time, before I give you some numbers, airline and transportation portions of the monthly durable goods data can cause significant uplift and downdraft in some monthly numbers. So you average them together over several months. And if you do that, they're doing just great. Specifically, I bring your attention that the, to the fact that the previous months, not just April, March and February have now both been revised upward. In other words, it wasn't as bad as we were told. This month, what was April Durable Goods orders? Up 3.4%. You know what was expected? One half of 1%. You know, usually the miss is like, um, instead of one half of 1%, it's seven tenths of 1%. And that's a big miss. This is almost 3%, almost six times what was expected. This also led to yet another increase to the Atlanta Fed's GP, GDP Now model, making it the fourth increase since just one month ago when the bad first read of Q1 GDP was released. Remember, it was terrible. Everybody thought, oh my gosh, the economy's slowing down. It's not going to work. Think about it. Today, that paltry number is already up to 2.9% annualized growth. Just a month ago, it was less than two. These are big, big numbers. These are big changes on an $18 trillion economy. I want you to realize that. Yet beyond all this, beyond the improving good news, even as we see continued embedded improvement under all that noise, think of it being hidden by that white cloud of smoke powering out of the engines. Other data show the many outlooks of doom are still weighing on the psyche of the crowd. 
Bloomberg's Consumer Confident Index, Confidence Index was uh, 42 this week. It's the second worst reading of the year. But here's the thing. As investors, what you will find if you go back and look at consumer comfort readings that are low, you will also find they mesh with lows in stock markets. Now that seems counterintuitive, but there, there's a reason why. When something is low in the consumer confidence area, it tends to improve. So if consumer confidence improves from, quote, low readings, then the market follows. So what you want to do is look for low comfort index readings, because those are also often lows in stock prices. So let's cover a few more thoughts on the outlook, along with the continued shifting of the baton. That baton is going from the baby boom economic drivers to the Generation Y economic drivers. First, I want to talk about something. The demand for cash continues to set records. Trillions of dollars in the bank have not solved the underlying trepidation about the future that everyone still carries. Interestingly enough, as much as everyone wants to focus on the Fed, there's a real disconnect and a misunderstanding at a pretty deep level on that front. With no shortage of pundits, economists, and investors who are worried that the Fed has blown an asset price bubble that is ready to pop, the view is simply leading too many astray. These podcasts have been clear for years. The Fed is more of a follower. The Fed is not the one that drove yields to absurdly low levels. Investors have demand for, quote, safe bonds all over the world has caused rates to stay low. The Fed has responded to a market that has been deeply risk-averse for years and generally remains pessimistic. It was this huge demand for money and safe assets that actually created the need for quantitative easing. It was not for the goal of printing money. It was the Fed's way of turning risky notes and bonds into safe assets in the perception of the public, i.e. bank reserves, which are functionally equivalent to T-bills, the gold standard of risk-free assets. The demand for money and safe assets, even to this day, remains unprecedented, just as we crest yet a new record in GDP output. Think about it, guys. We have $8.4 trillion sitting in the bank, and people are still afraid they don't have enough. Granted, now, look, the masses can't be blamed to feel so much risk aversion. With massively incorrect fiscal policies weighing down our economic growth, it's been miserably slow in quite a few areas. Fear shows up regularly as volatility has been intense during some periods of the market. I can assure you, though, almost all discussion today carries the same tone. Most people are still terrified of another Great Recession or market crash like we saw in 08 and 09. Remember, we feel very clearly that fiscal policy is what's drowning out some of these massive improvements. Of course, add in the energy sector being rebuilt, and it's a surprise to many that the U.S. markets are just a few percent off new record highs. Let's talk about that fiscal policy for a second. 
when you take a strong economy and you shave off hundreds of billions of dollars in new taxes and new costs and new regulations and divert those hundreds of billions of dollars to new social programs, you make it look like the economy is not growing as much because it isn't. It's being shaved off the top. It's like buying a two-scoop ice cream and someone steals the first scoop. You're left with a smaller bit of ice cream, but you still bought a two-scoop ice cream cone. That's kind of what's happened to our economy for the last eight years under the current administration. It has actually grown much stronger than we currently feel it. But that's going to change. Still, more than ever before, demand for money is at record highs, even though, think about this, step back for a minute, bank savings deposits, just the stuff in the bank, by the way, it earns nothing, it's just, it's just there to make people feel good, that's what you do when you're terrified, right, you got to have money in the bank, I mean, my God, I want, I want that money right at my fingertips, I don't want to invest it anywhere because the future looks terrible, that's the psyche that causes someone or someone's population to save money in cash in a bank earning nothing. Bank deposits have risen from a somewhat staggering $4 trillion in late 2008, at the, nearly at the pit of the crisis, to a monumentally staggering $8.4 trillion today. That is a more than doubling over a period where personal income only rose 27%. What does that tell you? It means we are saving more and more of our money, a vast difference from what we did for 30 years beforehand. And what happens when you sit idle on $8 trillion of money? Well, think about it. The average dollar, when you spend a dollar in the United States economy, it, it does five circles. It turns into $5 of production. Data shows it's a, it does about five round trips. It goes somewhere else. You, you buy gas. The guy who owns the gas station pays the gas guy who delivered it. That gas guy pays his electric bill. That electricity company pays their employee. That employee goes out to the restaurant and eats and tips the waiter. It just keeps going. The same dollar. But if you take $8 trillion of those dollars out of circulation, out of fear, and you put them in the bank for a rainy day, you know what you do? Two things. You create a rainy day, but you also evaporate the equivalent of $40 trillion of economic activity. If we shuffled $8 trillion out of the bank and started spending it and investing it in businesses and jobs and new production and new tools and new things in society, our economy would go so fast, we, our heads would spin. More important, as it relates to the flawed view of QE, one can argue that nearly the entire avalanche of new bank savings deposits has been used by banks to do what? Buy notes and bonds, which in turn they sold to the Fed in exchange for bank reserves. It was literally an accounting gimmick was moving one pile of money from one place to the other. Viewed another way, the banking system during all these years of crisis perception have invested their huge deposit inflows, all those $8 trillion, 
in the safest thing they could find, T-bills, also known as bank reserves. The bottom line, banks are behaving just as risk-averse as people are. Everyone's still afraid. Yet our economy is setting records. We've never produced 18 plus trillion dollars of GDP. And yet we keep buying into this idea that we have a terrible economy. So look, there are different shades, different shades of risk aversion. You can see it in different ways, not just cash. Let's talk for a minute about household financial burdens, okay? I want you to think of a couple of perspectives. First, the total financial obligation every household has on average, and then just the mortgage and consumer debt. The Federal Reserve breaks out those numbers as a percentage of disposable income. In other words, they keep long-running tracks for decades of how much we spend on certain things as a percent of disposable income. And here's some information for you that I think you're going to find stunning. In 1980, the amount of money that U.S. households spent on mortgage and consumer debt was 10.5%. Excuse me. It was 11.5% of disposable income. Think about that. 11.5% of disposable income was related to mortgage and consumer debt for U.S. households in 1980. Do you know what it was on 12-31-2015, the end of last year? 9.75%. Right now, it's 9.7%. In other words, as the amount of money that goes to mortgage and consumer debt in our society, as a percent of our society's disposable income, it is less as a percent than it was in 1980. Now, total financial obligations, everything we owe money on, everything. I mean, not just mortgages and debt, everything we pay on a monthly obligation for U.S. households, again, from the Federal Reserve. What are the percentages? Well, look, in 1980, it was 15.65% of total disposable income. You know what it is today? 15.6%. Meaning, back when our economy was a third the size of it is to what it is today, a third, guys, a third of what it is today, we basically had the same financial obligations. That, that's just, that's stunning. Okay, let's talk about credit, credit card debt for a second. You know, we keep hearing about how bad it is out there. No matter which way you slice it, the result is the same. The consumer, the U.S. household consumer, has not been this financially healthy in decades. As a percent of disposable income, credit card debt has collapsed. It hasn't risen at all for the past four years. Not at all. Why don't you think about that for a second? Right now... The percent of disposable income for credit card debt is 5.22%, actually, but let's call it 5.2%. Do you know what it was in 19, excuse me, in 2003? 
which is as far back as this particular Federal Reserve chart goes. In 2003, it was 8.5%, meaning almost twice as much credit card debt in 2003 as a percent of disposable income as we have today. Listen, across all fronts, one can easily see if you really study the data and forget all the doom and gloom in the news that we are at or below levels seen for decades. Households as a U.S. Uh, data point, households have almost never been this prudent when managing their finances. Again, it's a sign that fear lingers on all fronts. The only problem right now we've got, besides our fiscal policies coming out of Washington, is that we're terrified. Believe me, when you're terrified of the future en masse, you don't invest, you don't grow, you don't risk, you don't do anything. You just sit on the money. And man, are we sitting on a lot of money. One last point I want to make about global fear. Our 10-year Treasury bond is seen as the safest bond in the world. Investors all over the world stand in line to pay top dollar for the safety of our bonds. How afraid are they right now? Think of it this way. The P.E. ratio of the 10-year Treasury bond today is about 53. What do I mean by that? It means that if you want a dollar of income on a 10-year Treasury, you have to buy $53 of debt. It's the same thing as saying I'm going to buy XYZ company for 53 times earnings. That would be deemed by most as a pretty aggressive purchase. Compare that, oddly enough, to the P.E. ratio of the average stock in the stock market today, and you get it in the teens, the mid-teens. When you compare these two things, you get yet another version of just how risk-averse this marketplace remains even as the elements we've covered here continue to improve, and even including the bludgeoning of the energy sector and its earnings. So when you talk about contrary view, hey man, being afraid of the future is not contrary. Everybody's afraid. You're just part of the pack. I always tell people to look out to left field. You know, people say, wow, that came out of left field. Well, that's what you call a surprise. So what's the surprise? The surprise is strength is coming. Too many do not yet recognize the benefits rolling our way. And they're not going to escape us. We can't get out of the way. It's like a big giant wave coming in on shore. You're either going to go out and surf it in, or you're going to get run over by it. A few years from now, our memories will fade as they usually do. Everything we're afraid about today will have gone into the distant past. But you know what? Bigger monsters, bigger fears will await us then. They'll be in the shadows waiting. But here's where they'll be waiting from. They'll be waiting from a perch of higher stock prices, higher collective net worth, and a bigger record GDP from the United States of America. So as we head off into Memorial Day, I want you to think about one word, one word only. Participate. That's the word. Participate. Let that sink in. You see, as investors, we get to choose what we want to participate in. So, do you want to participate in the doom and gloom and negative chatter and the dark horizon ahead? 
Do you want to find a ghost wherever it could possibly exist? Do you want to keep believing all the garbage in the headlines? Remember what headlines are for. They're there to get your attention. And you don't get anybody's attention by giving them good news. So we also can participate in something else. We can participate in this idea. We can accept the main driver of all economic activity. We can accept the main driver of all business, all demand, all production, and all growth. That driver is crystal clear and very basic. It's people. People make markets. And because of people, and because of our demographics, and because of the massive, massive bubbles of generations we currently have in our system, our best days are ahead in a much bigger way than we currently understand. So listen, in closing, I want to tell you a couple of things. Number one, if you ever have questions or thoughts about our services, feel free to give us a ring. It's a toll-free call. It's 877-457-7744. Again, that's 877-457-7744. We want to tell you again, best wishes for a wonderful summer kickoff weekend holiday. Thank a soldier. Best to you and yours. Be safe, and we'll see you on the other side. Until we see you on the next podcast, may your journey be grand and your legacy significant.